in the truth of your word in every respect. And we thank you, Father, that by the teaching of the word and the operation of the Holy Ghost, we are conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Bless you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. If you want to turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 6, I want to talk to you this morning about spiritual strength. Paul writing to Timothy in the second letter that we have record of, chapter 3, verse 1, he said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And then he talks about uh, behavior, things that will be taking place in the world in the last days. Now this word perilous is uh, usually translated uh, dangerous or something to that effect, but it really means more than that. It means strength reducing. In these last days, perilous times will come. Strength reducing times will come. Now folks, think about that for a minute. The work of the devil is clearly identified in the scripture as accelerating and increasing the closer we get to the end time or the closer we get to Jesus returning. We're already in the end times. So when it talks about strength reducing, times that are identified as strength reducing times, the devil's number one attack against you is going to be your spiritual strength. He wants you to lose heart. He wants to, uh, through circumstances and, and the works that he's doing in the earth, he wants you to give up on God and the truth of his word. Strength-reducing times. Well, if the last days are strength-reducing times, then maybe our greatest effort or the work that we do and the priority that we place in our lives should be to gain strength, to gain spiritual strength. Now, Paul talks about that in, second, in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So he's clearly making reference to and identifying spiritual strength. Now, there's nowhere in the Bible that it tells you to be strong in yourself. And most of the times that people consider to be times of weakness, they're looking at themselves and they don't feel strong. Spiritual strength has nothing to do with feeling. Spiritual strength can oftentimes be best identified as the times when you feel weak. Smith Wigglesworth, who was a man that was greatly used in faith, in miracles, he was called the apostle of faith. There were 27 people raised from the dead in his ministry. That got me beat by 27. He said this. He said, when I feel strong, I'm not. But when I feel weak, then I know all I've got to rely on is the word of God. And that's the greatest place of strength you can have. 
So he said, Paul wrote to the church, by the Holy Ghost, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice this word, wiles. If you look this up in the, in the Greek, you'll find out that this word means trickery or deceit. But it goes even further than that. It's based on a word that means to travel over. Now, in Paul's day, there were bandits and robbers that would wait by the wayside at certain places. And when unsuspecting travelers would pass by, they would jump on them and rob them and in many cases would kill them. And so there were places that were known as the road that robbers or bandits travel. Well, this is the, the picture that Paul paints for us when he uses this word wiles. It means traveling over. In other words, he's saying the devil has one road and one road only that he travels. And that, word, that road is the road of deceit. Folks, one of the things about these last days that we're in now is that we're being lied to on every hand. From every angle, from every source, we're being lied to. If we can't identify what we're being lied to about, or maybe we say it this way, if we can't identify what is the truth in every area or in every situation, then we're not going to be able to be strong in the Lord because we won't know what word to attach or to use to stand on, to trust God in. I was reading an article the other day, and it was about the nation of Italy. They had reported 129 cases, uh, 129 deaths due to the corona, the coronavirus. But they knew that some of that was misidentified. And so they set out to identify what was the real number, the accurate number of people that died in their country. You know what they came up with? 4,000. Now, folks, this is not just America. We may be the, the leader in false information and certainly false information perpetuated by the news media. But we need to ask some questions to ourselves. We need to identify the days and the times that we live. Why are we being lied to? We all know somebody that died of coronavirus. So we don't want to take it lightly or, or Ignore the seriousness of the pandemic. But why are we being lied to? The reason that we're being lied to is the same reason the devil tries to lie to us in our own personal lives, in our own situations. But we need to recognize the reality of the fact that the devil uses trickery, deceitfulness, and lies to us because he's trying to control us. 
Now, one of the places that the Bible tells us that the devil operates heavily and behind the scenes is in governments. Remember when Jesus was tempted of the devil? One of the things the devil tempted him with was the kingdoms of the world. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, if you'll bow down and serve me, I'll give you all the power of the kingdoms of the earth. Well, if that wasn't a bona fide temptation, Jesus would have called him out on it. So since it was a bona fide temptation, then we need to recognize that the devil is at work in governments. He's certainly at work in our government. But it's not just America. He's at work in every world government, every country government working behind the scenes. The fact is simply this. If the devil can make us fearful, then he can pull us away from the truth of the word and he can control us. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now go with me now to, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, in the first few verses of the chapter, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Most translations finish that verse, instead of reasonable service, it is spiritual worship. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter 4, talking to the woman at the well of Samaria, that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spiritual worship is presenting your body a living sacrifice, controlling the desires and the actions of your flesh so that we can walk worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship or spiritual service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice there's a transformation process that's available to us. Paul said by the Holy Ghost, that it comes from the renewing of the mind. Now the transformation process that he's talking about can really be identified as spiritual strength. Because you can't be transformed to do the will of God, to operate in the will of God without spiritual strength. So here where he's talking about the way to overcome the devil, the way to operate differently than the rest of the world th uh, operates or thinks is the renewing of the mind. The renewing of the mind. The greatest need in the body of Christ is renewed minds. He goes on to say in verse 3, 
For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself. Notice that of himself is in italics. It means the translators added it. Well, it would certainly include things that you think about yourself. But not, it wouldn't be limited only to that. So let's take that out. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So that transformation that comes by the renewing of the mind has to do with what you think. One of the people that were transformed according to the gospel accounts was Jesus' mother. Look with me to to, to John chapter 2. John chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was or where it came from, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and said unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then, they, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Now back up in this story, and in verse 4 where it talks about Jesus was made aware of the fact that there was no wine. Mary brings the problem to Jesus and says to the servants, whatever he says unto you, do it. Whatever he says unto you, do it. Why in the world would Mary bring the information to Jesus about wine, the absence or the lack of wine in the, uh, for the bride, the wedding ceremony? She had wine faith. Now, how in the world did she get wine faith? Why in the world would she tell the servants, whatever he says to you, do it? Apparently, as being as mothers are, apparently she's tried to push Jesus into doing things like this before. Because Jesus responds to her initially as it's not right for her to push it. It's not right for her to try to dictate what he should do. But his actions should be led by God himself. But folks, if she doesn't have experience, I don't know how many times 
but at least one other time where Jesus provided for his family something in a supernatural or even a miraculous way, then she wouldn't have told the servants to obey his words. She's seen his words work before. Now realize that this is the first uh, miracle that Jesus does. It doesn't matter, that doesn't mean that he's never had a miracle operate in his life. It just means this was the first miracle that he did as, a, as the opening or the beginning of his earthly ministry. I wonder what Jesus has done for his family before this time that's caused her to have wine-creating faith. I wonder if he multiplied loaves and fishes for his family before. I wonder if there had been times where, just like in the Old Testament, the power of God caused the meal barrel not to waste and the oil not to run out. Something has happened. Something has taken place in Mary's experience as being Jesus' mother that causes her to have faith in whatever his words are, whatever he says to do. Something's happened before. Or else she wouldn't have responded the way that she did. Now Mary doesn't keep up with this kind of faith all throughout Jesus' ministry. There was one time where she was influenced by his half-brothers and sisters who felt like his preaching had gone too far. He was in the place where he had identified himself as the son of God who was sent to the earth. Now if anybody should know that and have inside information on that, Mary would be the one. She knew of the Immaculate Conception. She knew, no matter what anybody else might have surmised or guessed at or rejected, she knew that she came to be pregnant by Jesus as the Holy Ghost overshadowed her. But she was influenced by her other children to try to tone Jesus down, to try to change some of the preaching and some of the claims that he was making. So her experience with him over the years caused her to come to the place where whatever he said she established that as the final word on the subject. Whatever he says to you, do it. That'd be a good motto to live by. Whatever he says to you, do it. Go back with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's finish reading what Paul said by the Holy Ghost. We'll start in verse 10 again. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. In other words, to defend over the road that he travels. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I want you to notice something which I believe is the, the key to the spiritual strength and the results of increasing in spiritual strength above everything else. Notice in verse 13, it says, And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. I want you to notice that that implies preparation. Not just standing strong in faith, but preparing yourself to where you can stand strong in faith. Having done all to stand, stand. Having done all to stand, Stand. Even Paul by the Holy Ghost is implying that your situations and your problems aren't going to solve themselves overnight. There are going to be times where you and I are going to be faced with the prospect of standing on the Word for longer periods of time than what we want it to be. One of the things that I know the devil uses against people maybe more than anything else, is delay. Because during a delaying time, he has opportunity to tell you that you're the reason for the delay. It's something you have done or have not done, whatever the case may be, that he brings accusation to us for the sole purpose of attacking our strength. For the sole purpose of reducing our strength. Hoping that we'll give up on the word. And just count it as a job poorly done. Counting it as. Insufficient. Activity. And he usually turns that around and tries to attack our character. If we had just been more strong spiritually if we had just been better at praying or if we had just had more faith but remember the Bible says be strong in the Lord not be strong in yourself because if any of those things are true and they're usually not but if any of those things were true that we haven't lived a holy enough life as what we could have or should have. 
or if we haven't been as strong in faith as we could have or should have, or if we had done something wrong that created a hindrance to getting our prayers answered. Folks, those are all things that the blood of Jesus washes away. James, writing to the church in chapter 5, said the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. In other words, even if we've done something wrong, the mercy of God will carry us through. So having done all to stand, stand. Having done all to stand, stand. Smith Wilkinson said something else about the subject of faith. He said, if you wait till you need faith to get it, you're too late. Think about that in the sense of spiritual strength. If you wait till you need faith to get it, you're too late. Well, then when should we start preparing ourselves? Or when should we do all to stand? These things that we need to incorporate into our lives, even if we're not in trouble, even if we're not facing the dire consequences of the situations in our lives. The Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If faith comes by hearing the word, then faith goes by not hearing it. If faith comes by hearing the word, which the Bible says it does, then faith departs by not hearing the word. Folks, we need to include or incorporate in our lives a discipline, a spiritual discipline of putting the word first place in our lives no matter what. Now Paul gives us a list of things that we need to renew our minds to. You want to be spiritually strong? Follow his list. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. First thing we need to have our minds renewed to is the fact that the word of God is the answer to every problem and every situation we face. Jesus said it this way when he was praying for the church. In John chapter 17, he said, Sanctify them through thy word, Father. Thy word is truth. Next thing he says is we need to renew our minds to righteousness. The word righteousness means rightness. And the Bible says, whosoever is born again is a new creature. Old things have passed away and behold, all things become new. What does he mean all things become new? All things are restored to rightness. The Bible says that God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness or the rightness of God. Our righteousness has been restored to an even better condition than before Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. There's a lot of scriptures that speak to righteousness. Isaiah 41, verse 10. 
It says, fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will uphold you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. How's he going to uphold us? With his righteousness. Then Isaiah 54 verse 14 says something else that's important. It says, in your righteousness, God, I am established. It's not enough just to know that we've been made righteous. We need to be so convinced by the word of God that righteousness is what we're established in. The word established means can't be moved off of. It means to be set in one certain spot and not moved away from. So in your righteousness I am established. Oppression is far from me, for I do not fear, and terror does not come nigh me. Then Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Folks, the way you get no weapon forming against you to prosper is to be established in righteousness, to renew your mind to righteousness. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against me in judgment I will condemn, for this is my heritage as a child of God, and my righteousness is of God. It's when we have our minds renewed to these things that we can then be doers of the word and experience God's perfect will. He goes on to continue his list. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. There's the renewing of the mind again. Renewed to the reality of peace. The peace of God that will carry you through every time. Above all taking the shield of faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. We need to renew our minds to the fact that our words come to pass. Which is what faith is. Faith is believing. That the words you speak because of the right relationship we have with our heavenly father. Because we have been born into his family. The words that we speak come to pass every time. He goes further and take the helmet of salvation. Our mind renewed to all the promises of God that were fulfilled when Jesus went to the cross for us in our place. And the things that the benefits that belong to us because of his resurrection. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know what it seems to me like, folks? There's too many in the body of Christ that are trying to use their faith, this shield of faith, to quench every fiery dart of the wicked, but they don't know the word of God is an offensive weapon. If you look at the things on the list, The sword is the only offensive weapon that's listed. The other things are defensive. 
one of the greatest revelations I ever received was one of the first things that I came to understand. I started listening to some tapes by Brother Hagin. First tapes I got a hold of of his were the Mountain Moving Faith series. And I came to understand through the way that he taught the word that the word of God was intended to be an offensive weapon. It was intended to be used, acted upon, and not just something that we read. Nobody ever told me this, and I, I'm not, I don't want to blame it on somebody else, but somehow or another I had developed through growing up in the church, the denominational church, I had developed the idea of the concept that the Word of God was just something we were supposed to read not necessarily understand, but just read it and hope that God would do something to help us in our situation. But the Bible says that we are to be doers of the word. In other words, use the word of God appropriately. Use the word of God effectively. That's what Jesus did when he was tempted of the devil. He met every temptation with the word of God. He spoke what the word said. Now, folks, he's the son of God on the earth. But the son of God, who emptied himself of power and glory and came to earth to operate as a man, he recognized the importance of the word of God, and as a result, he built it into his life. He would have known more than anybody, whether or not he could have taken shortcuts. But he didn't. He operated as a man or a woman should operate here on this earth. He spoke the word, and the word broke through the temptations that he was under. The Bible says this, heaven and earth shall pass away. But his words will never fail. Let me show you an example where people were transformed by the word that they heard. Turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 20. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them others beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they were in some place, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He knows that God is, has the truth he knows that God's word is the truth for them in their situation. So Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? Folks, pay attention to this prayer. This is one of the best prayers you'll ever hear. 
O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gave it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for my name, saying, If when evil comes upon us, as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now, behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are on thee. Now let's take another look at that prayer. Jehoshaphat starts telling God what God has said. Are you not God in heaven? Well, that's who God represents himself to be. Are you not the God that rules over the heathen enemies and countries? Well, God said that he did. And are you not the God that told us that when we're in trouble, if we come to this place and call upon your name, you'd help us? It's almost like this prayer is a bunch of accusations made against God. But they're not accusations of God doing something wrong. They're declarations of what God said he would do for them. Smith Wilkesworth, as we've already mentioned a couple of times, said this about prayer. He said the greatest prayer, the most effective prayer is argumentative prayer. That's what this is. It's Israel arguing their right to deliverance because of the things that God had said and the declarations that God had made. So they called him into question. Jehoshaphat asked God, did you not say you'd deliver us from our enemies if we came into this place and called upon your name like we're doing? Then he speaks to the people that are coming against him. Behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let us invade, whom you would not let us take care of early on. Here's another accusation against God. Again, not that God has done something wrong, but they're saying the only reason these people are around is because you wouldn't let us wipe them out before. Behold how they reward us for us letting them live to this point. Look how they reward us to cast us out of thy possession which thou hast given us to inherit. They don't even say that the land, the promised land is theirs. They call it God's possession. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? He said that he would. Will you not judge them 
For we have no might against this great company that comes against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Maniah, the son of Jeel, the son of Madani, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still. Having done all to stand, stand. Having done all to stand, stand. What have they done to stand? What preparations have they made? Well, they know the word enough to call, it, to call upon God to answer and keep his promises. They have enough knowledge of the word, at least Jehoshaphat does, to recognize what God said, that when they were in trouble, if they'd come to this place and call upon his name, he'd deliver them. They've got this built into the fabric of their lives before they ever run into trouble. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Here they have a, a wonderful time of rejoicing. They're rejoicing because of what God had said. God said tomorrow he'd take care of their enemies. All they had to do is go out against them. Now I think a lot of times we want the same results. We just don't want to go out against them. Let us just stay home and hear by the news media what God did. Like they'd ever tell us. But the next morning comes around. They rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe as prophets, so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Let me ask you a question, folks. If you were Jehoshaphat, what would you have been doing between the time that you heard yesterday what the Holy Ghost came upon this guy and he prophesied that they not have to stand in the battle or fight in the battle, but God, the battle was God's and he'd take care of it? What would you have been doing overnight? Jehoshaphat had the wisdom to know that they needed to keep praising God for the answer 
when the morning light came. Well, that's what they did. They put out singers that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before. That means in front of the army. I wonder if there's anybody in that singer choir group that thought maybe Jehoshaphat had messed up. Folks, I want you to see that through the word of God, Jehoshaphat at least had been transformed. He had been transformed by the word of God and all he had to do was act on it. He's probably been thinking overnight, what's the best way for us to approach this? How can we be doers of the word to take God at his promise? Well, this is what he comes up with. He comes up with putting the praisers out in front of the army. Well, if they're not going to have to fight in the battle, then what's the army going to be good for anyway? I'm not sure the choir agreed with him. But that is what God said. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, he said ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which are come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and to destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. One of the things, and this happened several times in the Old Testament, where the enemies of Israel start fighting against each other. One of the things that I find very interesting is that when these people start fighting one another, there's nobody left. That means the last two on the battlefield killed each other with one blow or with the last swing of the sword. There's not one left. God knows how to take care of all your enemies. So the Bible says when they came upon them, it took them three days to carry off the goods and the things that they spoiled them of. Never had to fire a shot. Never had to shoot an arrow. Never had to throw a spear. They didn't even have to throw a rock. Because they acted on what God said to do. Again, Jehoshaphat made it very clear. He said, Lord, aren't you the one that told us if we called upon your name in this place, you would deliver us? Folks, I wonder if God's still in the deliverance business. If he did that for his servants in the Old Testament, what will he do for his sons and daughters in the New Sanctify them to thy word, Father. Thy word is truth. If God did that for them, why wouldn't he do that for us? 
If God saw then through times of hardship and famine and even pestilence and plagues, then why will he not do the same for us? He never changes. I like the way he said it in the Old Testament. I am God, I change not. I like the forcefulness of that statement that he made. I am God, I change not. Well, if he changes not, then we've got the same promise for him to hold up for us to defeat our enemies just like they defeated theirs. Stand and set yourself still, he told them. For the Lord will do battle for you. Folks, spiritual strength is recognizing that your answer is God and his word. Not feeling strong enough to take care of things on your own or for yourself. Jehoshaphat felt pretty good when the prophet declared God's promise, declared the deliverance that would take place in the next day. But beyond that, we don't know anything that he would have felt anywhere along the way. God, didn't you say you'd deliver us? Father, didn't you tell us that you'd never leave us nor forsake us. We're facing some enemies here, Father. Are you the same God you used to be? Folks, these are days of opportunity for us, for the church. These are days of great opportunity. Days for the world to see the difference between how they think and how we think. Days for the world to see God come through on our behalf with a mighty hand. They are perilous times, no question about that. And the Holy Ghost warns us that the devil's trying to reduce our strength. But the Bible tells us how to stand strong. How to stand true to the word. How to maintain an established position in righteousness. And to enjoy his deliverance. No matter how long it takes. No matter how it looks. No matter how we feel. God's word cannot fail. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We magnify your goodness. Folks, Father, there are people in this place and people watching us online that are facing serious situations, dire circumstances. 
people that need to be healed, people that need your provision, people that need your peace, people, Father, that need rightness to be restored in their lives. So we call upon you, Lord. Your word says that when we call upon you, you will answer us and you will be with us in trouble. Father, we know that you don't change. We know that deliverance and help and provision and healing belong to us just like it did to Israel. In fact, to a greater degree because we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So, Father, we declare that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. We declare that abundance is ours by the blood of Jesus. We declare that your strength is ours. And so we thank you for the answer. Just like the singers and praisers went out in front of the army, our praises, our sacrifices of praise go before us everywhere we go. We worship you, Father. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your healing power. We thank you for miraculous provision. We thank you, Father, for doing exactly what you said you would do to see us through in every situation. We worship you, Father. We magnify your holy name. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. You do redeem our life from destruction and crown us with loving kindness and tender mercy. You do see us through in every situation. Bless your holy name, Father. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.